and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today we're going to be spending some more time with Jason Finkelstein. If you didn't hear the initial interview, it's in the archives. Take a look, take a listen. Jason is, I believe, co-founder of Tradeify, which is one of the reasonable number of startups who are looking at accelerating the personality and, and soft skills assessment process. Jason, how are you? I'm great, John. Nice to be nice to be back with you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Tradeify to to bring the the one or two people who may not know who you are up to speed. Okay. First, sorry I have to correct you. Um I'm not a co founder. <laughs> but but uh I am one of the executive leaders. I'm the chief revenue officer. I run marketing and sales there. And the way to think about Tradeify is we're a personality data platform. Um, we've invented a really kind of modern way to collect job seeker and employee personality data in very, very large scale that delivers great candidate experience, but also helps companies make smarter data-driven hiring decisions. And I'd say what's very different about us is not only the format that we use to collect the data using images, but the fact that we also focus very deeply on helping companies not just to use the data for their own benefit, but to help give value back to the job seeker. So instead of just, again, using that data to make decisions on the candidate, giving the candidate the data back um, to help them make decisions about their own career. So have you tested this tool? We were talking before the show started about, about international cultures and the ways that they're different from each other. Is there data that shows that Tradeify works in cross-cultural settings? So we have been largely focused on North America and have, have just started to get some data outside of the U.S. And in fact, um, our psychology team, who are you know, much smarter folks than I, they uh, and our founders are very keen on the idea and very aware of the idea that when you translate survey tools and assessment tools to other markets, not only do you have to look at language, but you also have to look at uh, you know, cultural norms and cultural translations and so you can imagine showing a, you know, a survey respondent, a series of images, you know, somebody in, in, in Southeast Asia might interpret images much differently than, than somebody from the U.S., for example. So we're, we're deeply aware of that. I wouldn't say we're deeply focused on it today. That's interesting. I think, I think it'll be a, an interesting turn because we know sort of generically so little about people and organizations that, that it's going to surprise me. That, that, that a, an assessment tool is easily transferable across cultural lines. It's really going to surprise me because so much is different. You know, I, I think we're going <laughs> to cross that bridge when we come to it. I think that's uh, perhaps part of the reason, you know, it's like the devil, you know, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. The devil we know is, is in the markets that we've been uh, deeply focused on. And I think we're, we're looking forward to tackling that challenge eventually. Yeah, it would be a good thing to have. So why don't you bring us up to date a little bit on how it's going to Tradeify. What's the delta from the last time we talked? Are you, are you now all Jed Clampett-style billionaires because the company sold for a bajillion dollars, or are you on the path to that? What's, what's the story? Not yet. Growth path. We're about to go out and, and raise our Series B of venture funding, so that's exciting. Um, we've just hired some new executives into the company, a uh, new chief operating officer, 
Uh, we have a new board member, both of whom are kind of really, at, at least uh, where the company's headquartered in Baltimore, big names. Um, they both have kind of track record experience from named brand name companies in, in the, at least well-known in the Baltimore region. Advertising.com, um, which was acquired for uh, AOL for several hundred million dollars back in 2004, um, and then Millennial Media, which uh, IPO'd, I think, in 2012. So our new, our new guys have, have experience from companies like, from, from there, uh, Verizon, AOL. And so some big names, um, some, some, big, uh, some big funding coming up, some, some big customer announcements coming. And I think, you know, I think even what's, what's more exciting than, than just the traction at Tradeify is, I, is what we kind of view as the trends in the market that are kind of underlying, I think, the, the tide, right? The rising tide that I think is lifting our boat along with the boats of many other talent tech and work tech companies. And you and I kind of touched on this in the past, John, but this kind of power shift in the employment marketplace, which is shifting power away from hiring companies and, and to job seekers, we, we think that's a big driving force behind a lot of the growth and attention that we're seeing. I'm curious about, about this, next, this next area and, and be very interested in your, your notion. Do you think that that upper hand that the employee currently has in the labor market holds after the next recession? Right? That's a great so, question. So, so right. It's easy to, easy ahead, to have the upper hand when unemployment is 3%. Um, it's much harder to have the upper hand when unemployment has been at 10% for a couple of years. So you have um, unemployment at all-time lows, right, or maybe all-time lows in the last 50 years. Um, and, you know, of course, wage growth comes from that, and you kind of get power shifting to, to the employee, to the job seeker in this kind of low unemployment market. But um, like you said, that's not been unprecedented in the past, and that may change um, as unemployment ticks upward, um, as it may in a recession. So what's different? Um, and so my observations have been that we have a couple of big new things that won't go away, that won't change even, even in a recession. The first of which um, is workplace transparency. So that just means if you're a bad place to work, um, employees and job seekers now know almost instantly um, what's happening in that company because of right, all of the social media platforms, um, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or, or Glassdoor, you know, it's sites like Glassdoor that were designed specifically to capture worker feedback about the culture and the environment. And so because you know, there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide for employers, um, they have to invest in actually being a great place to work or they will struggle um, to keep to keep employees, even in times, um, even in, even in times of, of, of more, uh, of higher unemployment when, when it's liable to be a little bit more competitive. Um, and that's just one trend, um, that I think is, is creating, uh, creating, reinforcing that power shift. Um, the other one, um, is really the rise of personal computing power, right? Everybody's now got a mobile phone. Um, it takes a matter of minutes, uh, in many cases, to apply, to find and apply to jobs. Um, and of course, mobile phones have given rise to things like the gig economy. Um, and so all of this is to say that 30 years ago, you, know, you, you had to sit at home and circle classified ads when you were in the job market. Today, in a matter of minutes, you can find and apply to something else. 
Um, and that just means that workers have enormous option value. Um, and so that's not, that, this is also not going away. So combine workplace transparency, which is at an all-time high, and personal computing power, which is at an all-time high, and that won't change. Neither of those will change, um, even in an economic downturn. Um, I think the question you asked is a salient one, which is, okay, well, given the different environment, as unemployment and if unemployment picks up, um, how will these new, newly, introduced, uh, newly introduced dynamics in the employment marketplace um, change that power dynamic? Um, and I think those, those, new, those new items will, will weaken um, the power shift back to, to employers um, and keep it with, with job seekers. I, I find that you said something that I don't think I've ever heard anybody say before, which is that there is um, a relationship between the um, smartphone, um, the evolution of the smartphone and the gig economy. Talk to me some more about that. That's, that's, that's an interesting notion, although I'm not sure that I buy it. So if you look, for example, at companies like Uber, um, and even early on in you know, venture capitalists like Sequoia and their investments in companies like Uber, um, what venture capitalists like to hear is, well, why am I going to invest in you? What's changing in the world? What large changes in the world that's happening around us? And so when you look at, for example, um, you know, the ride-hailing economy, um, the presence of a mobile phone um, really is what you know, drove the introduction of Uber and Lyft and all these services. And so, um, of course, the reason is that you can locate the phone, right? It's kind of locatable. Location is free and cheap and, and, and widespread. Um, and uh, it allows for uh, you to hail the ride, know where your ride is, and solves a lot of problems in that context. And so many of these gig economy companies, which are really all about on-demand services, um, right, getting your groceries delivered um, or, you know, grabbing a scooter, um, right, having somebody walk your dog um, are fundamentally underpinned by the availability um, of a mobile phone, the computing power on the mobile phone, and the capabilities on the mobile phone, including things like you know, transactions and location um, and feedback. So that, that, I think, is really fundamentally what underpins the statement. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, to suggest that that what the gig economy is, it has, it has something to do with transactional work at the subsistence income level. It kind of, kind of changes the definition of gig economy. You, you know, the, the, the larger notion, if 40%, if 40 of the economy is in the gig economy, as, as some people claim, the, the odds that they're driving newfangled taxis all of them is kind of low, right? That's, a, that's it's an interesting thing that 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 there's Uber, but but that's kind of more interesting to investors than it is a description of the social change that's happening, which is a, a sort of a fragmentation of work. Um, which is why I asked the question. Why I asked the question about the the phone as a foundation? You'd have to be Uber centric to believe that. I think, are you suggesting that as you, and I think this is a fair point, as you move up kind of the skilled work spectrum, you know, it's less about kind of shift work, for example, and more about, well, I'm a, you know, skilled worker, I'm a creative, a visual designer, for example, 
and I have gigs, right? I kind of do things remotely. And, you know, it's, so the mobile phone is kind of features and functions of a mobile phone are maybe less, less critical. I think what I would say to, <clears throat> in response to that is, well, it's maybe not about I show up for my shift on time and you can track where I am, but it's more, well, I don't necessarily show up to an office, right? I may or may not have a WeWork to go into, but my mobile phone is still a fundamental driver because it's really the, hub, the communication hub, right? So whether I'm slacking from my phone or my computer um, or I'm in a public coffee shop and using my phone as a tether um, to really work from wherever and do my work from, whatever, from wherever, I think it is an enabler um, as you move up um, uh, the spectrum of kind of unskilled to skilled labor uh, still. Yeah, you, you, you know, I, I'm less clear that, that the, the fundamental driver of the gig economy's growth is technical. I, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that that's, that, that that's, that's there's certainly, you know, you know if, you, if you want to drive the cost out of a system and make a lot of money out of the old taxi business, you can do that with digital technology. That's very interesting. But, but, but where the economy is moving is those things are what you automate, right? The, those, these exact things that, 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 that in, in your in your point of view are the heart of the gate economy are exactly the things that are going away uh, <laughs> and, and 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 the and the gig economy that, that makes sense to me is not going away it's becoming the heart of uh, value creation and the heart of the value creation means um, looser relationships with sources of capital and that's is that, is that driven by technology? I'm not sure that it is. I, I think it's a, a cost-cutting measure uh, from the corporate side that started 30 years ago, and it wasn't driven by technology. It was driven by the idea of, of running efficiency in the corporations. I, I think there is definitely a cultural element, and I wouldn't say that technology is the primary. Um, driver of that, but I I think my illusion was more to that in today today before kind of the widespread introduction of AI and automation, which is coming, but who knows if that's two years out or five years out or ten years out. Um, right. The power it, it is a driver um, of that of that. It's of empowering course. to work with of today. Yeah, yeah. So so though, so let's, though, let's I, though I get your, you may, though I get your point. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, let's move closer to home. And um, I just, I, I, I was um, talking with a group of 50 HR technology leaders in big companies for a couple of days uh, this week. And, and when I got back home, I went to this dinner for a people analytics conference. And, and, and my take was that, that, What's happening with assessment in general is that there's a movement towards um, reducing the cost and effort and time consumption associated with doing assessment. And what people are looking for and hoping is a zero time assessment. What do you think about that? Um, I think it's certainly logical. Um, that that's the direction things are going, and Tradeify plays off of off of that evolution, right? Kind of taking the typical behavioral or personality assessment from 
you know, what it was, you know, a couple decades ago, 45 minutes, and it's kind of moved down to 30 minutes and 15 minutes in some cases, and we've gotten it down to, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes using images, which is cool. But the zero time assessment is interesting. Um, and I think in particular, uh, you know, there's kind of a set of data that you can use, um, right, whether it's your social footprint, you know, what people say and do online, what they've already written, um, and, and try to use that to make an assessment. Um, but I, I think um, assessments aren't a one-size-fits-all. So I, I want to be careful about it, kind of making blanket statements here, right? You have everything from, you know, executive leadership to management to, you know, to line-level workers, both skilled and unskilled. And I think the, the needs for assessment differ um, pretty greatly across those different, uh, those different categories. Uh, and so depending on what we're talking about, I think it might be easier to get to a low uh, or no time assessment eventually. Um, but for example, in cases where you need to measure not just personality and behavior, but also kind of cognitive or general mental ability, um, you know, and a number of other soft skills, uh, it's going to be hard to get to zero uh, in the near term. Zero time. That's interesting because this, this universe of um, uh, sort of people analytics folks that, that I ran into, there's some, there's some pretty um, aggressive experiments going on with looking at um, the sort of things you can measure in the workplace and doing sort of a foundational uh, component of Creatify, which is a correlation between those things and some known body of uh, personality data, um, and, so, and so there. Are, I talked to folks last night who think they're pretty well on the track to a zero time assessment. So, where I'm curious, where would the um, where does the data come from? Is it from kind of tracking performance in the workplace or some other other data set? Well, imagine. I mean, I mean, here's here's an example. There are there are a, a couple of experiments, and I imagine there could be more. But but here's here's a here's an example. Imagine that um, oh, every big company has a complicated employment website, and a complicated employment website um, um, is a juggernaut. To a bunch of repeatable and understandable decision loops, right? That they you, you start to as you as you watch the aggregate behavior inside of an employment website, you start to be able to see some consistency in patterns, right? And 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 so the question starts to be, um, can you map? Um, those patterns against the data that that already exists in in um, assessment, and um, it, as you get to, as you get to places like Deloitte, where the volume is so enormous, um, um, it starts to be feasible that there's enough data there, right? So it's that kind of thing: repeated repeated behavioral loops in interaction with the machine generate the kinds of data constructs that you can use to run correlations. I think that's you know, I, 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 I understand. That's cool. Um, I get it. Um, that's, at least for me, feels like um, 
like certainly there's an, an enormous amount of data around kind of people's interaction with the with the website. So that seems very, um, I guess, mono-dimensional. That's the word. Um, and um, it should be. I I wonder I wonder if a different type of approach to the problem is not capturing the data from people. Um, because look, you can get to zero. You can get to zero time in different ways. One is by saying, "Well, we're not going to ask anybody to do anything when they apply, right?" And that's kind of a zero time assessment. Um, but another way to go about it is to say, "Well, listen, there there are tools out there that job seekers, candidates, employees can use for their own benefit, whether or not they're ever applying for a job um, at this time." And so they engage with this tool not because they're like, "I want to get my score and put it on my LinkedIn profile in case I'm ever assessed one day," but I engage with this tool to make myself better, to learn about myself, um, to learn what my workplace personality is, what my workplace habits are, um, what the best work environments for me might be, what my complements or conflicts might be in certain workplaces, how I interact with others, how I could communicate better, collaborate better, um, you know, interview better, whatever. Um, that's a reason for somebody to engage with an assessment tool is not, again, to give value to the company, but to get value for themselves. And then if you could create a marketplace where people are coming just to engage with this tool for their own benefit, um, then of course it's this kind of, you know, it's a little bit, uh, you know, like Facebook mentality. You'd have to have you obviously have to be transparent about it. But hey, this one day might be used um, to to help you match the job, um, not only for your benefit, but perhaps for the for the company's benefit as well. So if you can collect this personality data in volume by giving the other side of the marketplace, the job seekers, um, benefit from it. Uh, then you, that's another way to get to the zero time is that there's um, you know, almost like a data trove, a personality or behavioral, even cognitive data trove um, <clears throat> that companies could, could potentially access to get to that zero time assessment. Um, the lens that you're talking about, I think, is interesting to me because it, it, it's almost like this typical, it, it's a very kind of company-centric, I want to collect this data at the time that somebody's applying and I'm going to use that data to kind of make a decision. Um, but, it, but I think it ignores kind of the employee journey, much like a marketer thinks about a customer journey. Where was my customer, you know, a year before they ever just heard of my employment brand or became aware of me or decided to apply um, uh, or decided to buy? Um, you know, the, 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 a company thinking about an employee um, might be thinking about how to get that data well, well, well in advance um, before somebody's applying it. So that might be a different path to the, the zero-time assessment, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, that's, that's an interesting idea. I wonder... It, it, it would take a couple of generations to get that to the place where um, you could reliably use it, don't you think? Um, well, things are happening a lot faster these days than they used to. Um, and so I would say, um, you know, look at how fast new services are gaining market penetration. If it's done right, um, I don't think you'd have to wait a couple generations or even a generation necessarily. Um, you know, I think if, if somebody had said to you, well, there will be a, you know, 20 years ago, there will be a service and it's going to have, you know, 2 billion users on it. Um, and it's a social network. Right? <laughs> you'd say, it's going to take generations to get 2 billion people. And of course, Facebook achieved it in you know a decade. Uh, so anyway, not that it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to think about. 
that kind of market penetration and that in that kind of um, you know exponential pace. But I think humans are notorious for thinking linearly and not exponentially. It's hard to do that. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, but but you're 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 not um, building Facebook in that model. You're you're asking people to do work on the supposition that there's some value down the road. Uh, the um, the Facebook. Oh no, I think it's a, I think it's value. A, I think it's immediate value, and certainly Facebook is different because it's social and there's network effect, uh, and so um, it's it's um, you have, to, which is actually you know why the human psychology element is is pretty fascinating. You have to dig into that. But what's somebody's motivation for taking an assessment? Well, one, I want to self improve. I want to get better in the workplace, right? I want to know about myself and then use that data to kind of gain insights and then use those insights to to make some decisions to, to self-improve. Um, and so um, how do you, could you make that social um, where you use um, the results to share with others um, and then get feedback from them um, and kind of, for example, automate the creation of gig economy teams and, and create and, create in, and uh, recommending connections Based on on team building or personality, I'm not sure. I mean, this is this is kind of a little out there, but um, um, I think the fundamental premise of having a tool like this, um, gaining engagement from job seekers, candidates, employees by giving them value, um, and then using that to plug into a company down the line, whether it's months uh, or years down the line, um, is an is it just an interesting different approach to arrive at that zero time assessment you asked about, um, as opposed to the kind of the um, the, the brute force technology route of let's kind of do it in the background without telling anybody what we're doing. Um, and I think um, the problem you have, there's a whole data privacy question around that. Um, but I think in this way, um, there's a potential, you, you can kind of jump, the, jump, jump that issue with, with kind of being very transparent with the, with the worker uh, in, in this model, in this approach. Okay, so what else do you see going on in the labor market? Um, so, look, I think I think um, I think that I'd like to go back to that power shift, John. We 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 didn't dig into that that much, but um, what's interesting to me there is what the, what. Let's assume there is a power shift, um, and that at least for the imminent future, until there's uh, you know an enormous recession, um, the power stays with with job seekers. Um, or, or employees. Um, what, do we, what does that mean for employees? Um, I think certainly any, with any change or with any shift, you know, it, it can create winners and losers. Um, and so uh, the winners are the ones who are anticipating these trends and adapting. And I think you see a lot of you know, some of the best employers out there who are, who are in a, you know, the, the death match, the death fight for, for great talent, you know, being very forward thinking around um, the areas that, that, that you and I, I think, and many people in the HR tech and talent tech space are, are aware of, right? Recruitment, marketing, and employment branding, um, and all the kind of, you know, learning, learning management systems um, that are arising. Um, you know, Qualtrics acquisition by SAP for $8 billion. I mean, they have, they have you know, employee experience software um, you know, Glint's acquisition by LinkedIn for several hundred million dollars. I mean, that was really a, a survey tool so you could 
really get a glimpse into the into the, what was happening in the culture of candidates. Um, I think that's that's a sign of the times, and that that's just I think is a glimpse into I think how the winners are behaving. But I think there's potentially a lot of losers um, as well. And I think those are the ones who are dragging their feet, um, behaving like the proverbial ostrich, I guess. Um, and because people are the lifeblood of what makes companies run, I think it potentially exposes these laggards to, um, to existential threats. Um, and it's not the kind of thing that happens in, again, a matter of months. Um, but, uh, but in a span of years, if, you're, if you really can't compete for talent and your policies and processes um, are not designed to do right by your people, um, you know, it could, it could be a big problem. You could eventually fail. And um, it's just interesting to think about historically how companies have always been like, wow, customers first, the customer's always right. Um, well, who's serving those customers? It's your people, it's your employees. And so if you're not doing right by them, how can you do right by customers? And so could, is there an argument to say, well, actually employees first. Um, that, that's the model of success um, you know, for, for companies to win based on, this, based on this trend, based on this power shift. I'm sure that's true for some companies. I'm, I'm sure that's true for some companies, but I'm, I'm not at all persuaded that it's a universal thing. And, and so, so maybe a way to get at that, and we'll, we'll make this the, the, last, the last thesis. I think what you're talking about is something that's really meaningful in urban environments where there is um, a robust array of opportunity to choose from. But that's not how it is most places, right? The, the, the labor market is not a national labor market. The labor market is a regional labor market. And, and the sort of the, the density of opportunity varies from region to region. I think that's, that's partly an explanation for what's going on in our political struggles is that, is that sure. opportunity is not consistent across the nation. And so, so in places where where there's not a lot of opportunity, I can't imagine that workers have the upper hand. And in places where there's a lot of opportunity, I'm, I'm sure you're right about it. So is this an urban uh, phenomenon? Yeah, it was my, <laughs> my statement was not, of course, intended to be a blanket statement. Um, and so I think you make a great oh, but, point. But blanket um, statements are, you, you, know, you know, this, is, <laughs> this, this has got to be at least a little entertaining. And, and blanket statements are, are the, no, exactly. This is the fun of it. The sparring is the fun part. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, 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 really, really, that the the, the I, I buy the notion that things are changing in the employment contract. Right. That's that's pretty clear. Who has more or less leverage is like any market dependent on supply and demand. And and if there's oversupply, the buyer is in a prime position, and if there's undersupply, the seller's in a prime position. And I think that varies based on industry, region, maybe even capital structure of the, of the primary organization. And so, so when I think about how this, how this percolates out over time, it's along those lines and starts to look like a dynamic that segments the workforce into people who have an abundance of opportunity and people to go. I think that's a fair yet scary proposition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, that's great. So this has been fun. This has been fun. Anything that you want to leave as a parting 
Jester, you can have the last word. No, this was, I, I, I'll just agree with you, John. This is great. I, I, I love the more kind of unstructured approach to these conversations. A lot of cool things, a lot of cool things happening in the employment marketplace. Always good to talk to you know, people who have, who have deep perspective um, drawing from their, their knowledge and experience. So thanks for having me. It's been great to be here. And I, yeah. I, I love these things. Anytime you, anytime you want to do this, let's do it more. Okay. Take, take a moment, reintroduce yourself and tell people how to get a hold of you and why. Okay, Jason Finkelstein, Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer for Tradeify, and the best way to get a hold of me is just by shooting me an email, Jason at Tradeify, T-R-A-I-T-I-F-Y dot com. If you want to talk about anything from personality data, behavioral data, workplace talent assessment, or just generally the things happening in the employment marketplace, or even more interestingly, marketing and customer success frameworks as they apply to HR and talent acquisition. I think there's a lot that HR and talent acquisition can steal from other functions that have, that have done a lot of things already in, in these areas. So that's, that's opportunity. Love to talk about that, any of that stuff, anytime. Great. So thanks for doing this, Jason. We've been talking with Jason Finkelstein, who is the chief revenue officer at a digital assessment company called Tradeify. Thanks for doing this again. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this, Jason. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you back here next week. Bye-bye now.